Today, I'd like to finish up our H5 series. We went through healing, healthy, hyped habits, and today we're going to be talking about hope. And the question that's going to govern our time together in just a very brief teaching is the question, where are you going? Where are you going? And we're going to tie it into this Christmas season and the audacious and incredible and sometimes maybe even unbelievable story about a God who comes down in flesh. Let me start with just a brief word of prayer so we can pause and uh, say, okay, God, open up our hearts and our souls to hearing from you. And um, Lord, teach us, um, lead us, guide us. And in the midst of this particular season, help us grab hold of what it is, uh, of the story that you have been teaching us through these scriptures, through these traditions, and help us to grab hold of some deeper truths or maybe just a glimpse of hope that we might have um, for the darkness that we sometimes face, for the challenges and the difficulties, so that we can be strengthened and empowered once again to take the step, a step forward into the future with tremendous hope, redemption and rescue, and bringing your light that has come into this world to shine in as many places as we can. And I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Christmas, as you all know, is the season or the time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Okay, just checking. Just want to make sure. It's getting a little risky there for a second. We all know about that celebration. And of course, you've all seen the bumper stickers, I'm sure. Jesus is the reason for the season. Um, you all have your celebrations about what it is supposed to be, and the, you have the creches, and you have the nativity scenes, and people put them up all over the place. And what I'd like to do today is share with you some thoughts regarding what that event may have been to the people that first heard it, to the people that first told that story, and draw it into essentially where those people thought they were going. And as a result of them embracing this story and answering that question, where are we going, they charted a course and a path and a foundation that has led now 2,000 years to us today to even exist as a people of faith, to take that tradition and that story and try to live that on. Hope is ultimately about the future. And the reason why the future is so important is because a lot of the conversations that you have about angst or frustration or disappointment, um, some in our community are heading into this season with a first sense of loss, a family member that is not going to be here for this first Christmas. Some are heading into this season um, as a result of a tragedy or some disappointment or difficulty at work or job or even just identity or place in this world. And so hope is something that's extremely important because all of the angst and the darkness and the frustration that I think many of us feel is really about the things that have happened, the things that have come before us and has led led us to this particular point. And I think it's really critical and important and profound that this particular story isn't just about the things that happened in the past, but hope is about pushing us more towards the future. And by identifying, like I said, the question, where are we going? What is that future? 
that can radically change the steps that we take that get us there. Let's begin with some wisdom literature. This entire series has been grounded in the Proverbs, and this is from the Psalms, and then we'll end with a proverb. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. I can imagine for some of us in this room, that phrase has extra weight and extra meaning given the conversations in the season that many of us are in. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. And I can imagine that some of us in this room deal with very deceitful and wicked people. Narcissism, anger, pain, frustration, all of that stuff. And I love what this psalmist does. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Has anybody ever felt that tension? You proclaim this beautiful truth about this God, stronghold. You're my fortress. My, you're my joy. You're all these things that we sing about. And I love, oh, it's so beautiful. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? Has anybody ever felt this way? Psalmist goes on and says, send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to, to God my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. These scriptures are so honest. Darkness, vindicate me. Why have you abandoned me? You're my stronghold. Why am I living in the hell that I'm living in? And this psalmist just wavers back and forth between this tremendous frustration with the existence of his or her reality and the truth that I need God. I need dependence. I need hope. I need strength. I need worship. And it ends with this phrase that has been popularized, at least in years past. Why, and here's the key word, soul. In the midst of everything that you've seen, why is my soul so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope, the future, where you're going, the possibilities and the promises. Put all of that in God, not in what you see, what has been, what has led you to this point. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Hope. Very different from what is past, what has come. And then this proverb. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. All right, friends, this is the season of love. Yes, this is the season of giving. This is the season to be jolly. This is the season for all of those things. But yet, I can imagine that this is not the season of happiness and joy all the time for everyone, for all places. It's a very mixed bag. Sure, you get family time. We have wonderful lights, beautiful music, wonderful celebrations. And yet, at the same time, we are challenged. This tension that we find during this season is the same tension that we find in the Psalms and in the Proverbs. 
I was thinking about this phrase, the season of giving, and I was hearing somebody on the radio or something like that talk about how it's such a wonderful thing to give. And I was thinking how this really isn't the season of giving, though, because it's the season of receiving. The the whole point of giving is so that I'm receiving, and it creates this whole giving-receiving feedback cycle that, you know, perpetuates all of our consumerism. And I was thinking, actually, when you think about the story, when all of us mention so boldly that this is about the birth of Jesus, this is really the season of sacrifice. This is a season of sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice has some beautiful etymology to it. The word sacra comes from the word sacred, meaning holy. And the uh, suffix means to do. Is it possible that this season is a mix of this beautiful gift of Jesus that is really a holy or sacred thing that God has given up, done something for us? Not just a gift, but a giving up, a sacrifice. And oftentimes when we run into this particular season, we forget that the reason why we celebrate is because someone, somewhere, at some particular time, sacrificed. It wasn't just a gift. It was a giving up of something. And here's where something really beautiful about this season really touches me personally. What did this God give up? What did this God sacrifice? What did this God actually do? This story says, this story declares that into darkness, a light has come. Into a world that is broken, hope has come. Into a world that has been shattered by powers and people that create injustice in the world comes a person of love and of hope. That's what this story ultimately speaks about. That's what this story ultimately centers around. Not the argument that Jesus is the reason for the season, and so we must fight so hard to make sure that we are right about it and that we can say Merry Christmas rather than Happy Holidays. With a <laughs> Into darkness, this God gave up whatever that God has. This God gave it all up to come down here into this darkness. Sacrifice. That's what this season's fundamentally predicated upon. Someone giving something up. But that is predicated, that's foundational upon a fundamental truth. That there was darkness. That the world at the time that Jesus was born was not a time of celebration. The reason why it becomes a celebration that, you know, inspires us to put up the lights and the trees and the celebration is because back then there was some real darkness. There were some real problems. There was some real injustice. There was some real oppression. There was some real suffering that was going on. And that Jesus came down and comes into this body, into this flesh, to take it on, head on, that darkness. So what does that have to do with hope? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that all of us face darkness, but the problem with the darkness that we face is this thing right here. It's a glass, and it is half This is the proverbial challenge that we all face. I can imagine we go around the room and we can all take a look or all consider some of the complications, the difficulties, the challenges, maybe some of the hurt, the the oppression, whatever darkness might exist in this world. 
And we have sometimes, usually, two responses. One uh, half empty, half full. And then you have the technical people who are a little, you know, just have to kind of put that in there. Optimism and pessimism are usually the two binary poles by which we evaluate where we are. And I hear this frequently. The world's going to hell in a handbasket, and we, oh my Lord, it's never going to get better. God's in control. It's going to be a beautiful thing. One of these two options. And over the last several weeks and months, and really over the last you know, years of life, constantly balancing back and forth between these two. And the problem with optimism and pessimism, at least the foundational ways by which we respond to darkness, is that it has absolutely nothing to do with reality, right? Optimism, pessimism are fundamentally postures and attitudes of the heart about whatever reality is. Optimism and pessimism are not descriptions (laughs) of reality, They are ultimately, they don't tell you anything about what is real in this world. Optimism and pessimism only tell you where you think you are going. And so when you face darkness, when you face difficulty, tragedy, problems, fundamentally you get to decide. You're all deciding whether or not to put a smiley face on or a sad face on. You get to decide. And that's one approach. That's one way of doing it. And you can post online and type to all your friends and text about how great this is, or it's going to be fine, or how horrible this is, it's never been worse. As I mentioned before, the darkness that we face and the challenges that we face are not something that are, that's unique to us. This is something that our ancestors had to go through themselves. Back when Jesus was born, and we don't have time to go over all of the things that have transpired. But if you take a look through the history books, you see rulers, governors, emperors, who have fundamentally, by their power, through politics, through their manipulation of the systems, created all sorts of chaos and havoc. And many of you know the story that we sometimes gloss over that we forget about, that when Jesus was declared born, and this news got to King Herod, the first thing that he did is to declare that all of the children in this city are to be slaughtered. That's the kind of darkness that this Jesus comes into. So if you think things are bad now, consider we've been here before. Consider that darkness has been around for, unfortunately, a very long time. And God has been very familiar with darkness and chaos. In fact, if I remember correctly, Genesis one actually even opens up with, and darkness was over the face of the deep. We shouldn't be surprised. But again, because we're human and because maybe we've been trained by good Christian teachers, we either call it all that everything's going down, the whatever, or things are going to be... We, we waver back and forth between this optimism and pessimism. And I'm going to suggest to you that this story of this baby coming down to earth, being born, provides a third way, a different way to think about this world, 
not to describe reality different, but to posture our hearts in a different way. I thought about this hymn. I thought about the beautiful theological spiritual truths. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Little is correct. 100 people, 75 people, maybe. And how still in the shadows of all of the oppression and all the rulers, Herod and Caesar, above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Dreamless, perhaps because they had once had dreams of what kind of people and what kind of world they could be in, but that world has not come. The world that they're facing is a world of Herod and the world of Caesar, the world of power and rulers. Yet, in thy dark streets, and they are dark, shines an everlasting light. And here's where this beautiful phrase for me comes in. The hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. This hymn, I think, captures some of the beautiful resonance of how dark and difficult and challenging Bethlehem was during this particular time. And in this child, in this everlasting light, is not just plain old optimism about how great things are going to be now that Jesus is here. Both the hopes and the fears come together. They live in the same space. And in many ways, hope exists because it's in tandem with the fears. I'm going to suggest to you, my friends, that optimism and pessimism are both forms of distorted reality. The biblical story that we celebrate doesn't offer either optimism or pessimism. It does not play with our emotions. Rather, it stares darkness right in the face and it says, darkness, you exist, but you will not be exalted. You persist, but you will not persuade. You will not change the posture of my heart. Now notice that this particular position doesn't try to change the reality. It fully accepts what that reality is. What changes is the posture of the heart. Barbara Kingsolver, who's an author, wrote this. The very least you can do in your life is figure out what you hope for. And the most you can do is live inside that hope. Not admire it from a distance, but live right in it, under its roof. And what I'm going to suggest to you, friends, as my thought and my devotion for this season, is that this baby, helpless, small, comes into this world. And somehow, spiritually, miraculously, that little child becomes the symbol of who and what we are to be and to think about and to posture ourselves in this dark world. And I don't know if we've ever thought about Jesus in this particular way, but I'd like for you to think about the darkness of this world, the challenges that you face, the complex people that you have to live with, and this. coming into the world 
These images were from a very famous photographer who got incredible photographs of a child coming into existence. And all of the hopes and all of the fears are met in this little child tonight. We don't know what's going on outside this world. This baby could be born into all sorts of craziness. It could be born into a loving home. It could be born into a broken world. But something within me, and when I see the children around us, something within me stirs. What is possible in this? What could actually become the darkness that is possibly surrounding this life that is emerging is not going away. But even in the midst of the darkness, some sort of new life is being formed. Some sort of new life is emerging. And this new life has the possibility, has the potential of transforming whatever darkness it emerges into, has the possibility of becoming a light where that darkness and I think that's a truly amazing, beautiful, and profound image and picture. That this, this is the image and the picture of the hope that we have and that we celebrate during this season. Think of all the possibilities. Think of what this child could become. And think about, maybe about how your parents thought of you in this way about how we think of our children. This to me is hope. Not an ignorance about the darkness, but to just see in the midst of all that darkness an amazing possibility. What could become? What could happen? What could emerge? I think a little baby is the perfect illustration for what hope we are to have. A change of our posture, a change of our perspective, not a change of reality. Hope is not the promise of a glorious future. Optimism. Nor is it blindness to the peril of the destruction that is to come. Pessimism. My friends, hope is the possibility of life that emerges out of whatever reality truly exists. And I hope and I pray that you, this season, as we embrace this story, know, sense, feel, live out, surely, for you, right here, right now, right at this particular moment, there is a future. And your hope will not be cut off. Whatever the darkness, whatever the difficulty, whatever the challenge. In answer to the question, where are you going? 
Are you going to the promised land of optimism? Are you going to the doomsday land of pessimism? Or are you going towards a future of phenomenal, radical possibility? Because even now in this moment, a new life is emerging. New light is coming up. New joy, new love, new emergence in this world. And I hope that that gives you a hope in the future. Jesus, thank you for coming down and being this light in this world. And I just am stunned and amazed that you would be that hope to us. Thank you for this family. Thank you for Spark. Thank you for this amazing year that we've had. Uh, We bless you so much for this season of celebrating your light coming into this world. And I pray that we can just embrace a hopeful new life future that is emerging, even in the midst of whatever realities we face. Be with us as we celebrate and eat together and fellowship together. And be with us and all who are here and who are not here throughout the rest of this season and the new year. We love you and we praise you. In your name, amen.